1: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more podcasts and more information on your number one news and talk station, please visit 702.co.za
0: or capetalk.co.za. Your family, your community, your country, your responsibility. Be the best citizen you can be. Find the Bill of Rights on leadersay.co.za. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Riddy Clubby. Hello, Chris. Good morning. You globe-trotter, you. I understand you've been in (laughs) Norway. What were you doing there?
1: Oh, it's cold there. Yeah? Um, I went to a conference, actually. I was asked by uh, a science publication in Norway if I would go and speak, because they have a, a conference every year. And so they get journalists and reporters and press officers from universities and that kind of thing. And they all come down to Oslo. They have this couple of days worth of conference um, seminars, talks, that kind of thing. And then I asked if I could stay on for a little bit longer afterwards and go and talk to some of the scientists at the university. So I then had two days of doing interviews with various scientists around the university. And I learned all about next-generation solar cells. Mm. I learned about chimpanzees using tools in bits Mm. of Tanzania. And I learned about economics and uh, (laughs) why Norway is a successful economic country. I learned about statistics sticks, loads of things. So I've come home with hours and hours of interviews that I now have to go through and edit and get ready to put on the radio.
0: Well, since you've got nothing else to do, we're giving you more work then, Chris. (laughs) I've got an email here. Somebody wants to know, has acupuncture, have acupuncture and reflexology been scientifically proven to improve people's health?
1: Uh, I I think the answer to that is no. Um, There are is no evidence, I think, in support of reflexology. I mean, this is where you basically squeeze bits of the body in order to achieve some degree of relief in, in a particular other part of the body which has got some problem with it. I don't think there's any physiological reason why this should work. But the point is that it will help some people for the simple reason that there's a very strong placebo effect. And this should not be underrated. Up to a third of the action of any kind of treatment can be purely attributed to placebo effects. And if it works for somebody, then you could argue, well, it's a very cheap way to achieve some degree of pain relief acupuncture is more tricky because it's in a sort of grey area because there's some aspects of how acupuncture could be working which um, we understand physiologically. There is almost certainly a very big placebo effect to go with it too. So I think probably acupuncture, uh, there's more of a case to be made for how it could work, Um, but I'm not aware of of the evidence, but that doesn't mean that there isn't any. I'd have
0: to go and look it up. Okay, let's go straight to the lines then. Uh, John in Parktown, hi.
1: Morning, ready. Morning, Chris. How are Mm, you?
0: Fine, thank you.
1: Good. Um, thanks for taking my call. It's actually quite a privilege to, to be able to no, answer this. No, thank you for
0: calling. John, slightly, what's your question?
1: Slightly mm-hmm. frivolous question. Um, it's a phenomenon that I've noticed, um, and it's particularly associated with hot drinks that are powder-based. So hot chocolate, Horlicks, Milo, Ovaltine. Interestingly enough, not instant coffee. So you make a mug of hot chocolate or whatever, and you can make it anywhere, a hot water or hot milk or a combination of the two,
0: and then you pick up the mug and you tap the rim with a with a teaspoon and the tone that's produced by doing that gradually and uh, continuously increases in pitch the more you carry on tapping the side of the, the mug. And I've always wanted to know why it happens. And people think I'm crazy, but <laughs> I wanted to know.
1: Um, I think that the reason for this, John, is a, it's a great question, and you are not going nuts. You are absolutely right. This does happen. What's happening is, and you can do this at home, actually, if you take a, a glass of water and a tablet, like an Alka-Seltzer, that would dissolve in the liquid and make bubbles, if you then stir it or tap it with the spoon, you'll notice that initially you get a low pitch, and then over time the pitch goes up again. And the reason for this is that when you first put the the bubbles into the liquid, what they do is act a bit like a dampener, a sponge, and they basically soak up the higher frequencies, and the lower frequency sounds are the ones that predominate in the liquid because they make the liquid much more spongy. But as the bubbles rise to the surface in the liquid over time, then what happens is the liquid effectively becomes stiffer, and that means it's easier for it to convey the higher frequencies, so the pitch goes up. And I think that's probably what's happening with your coffee.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Johnny. Thank you very much. Thank Rudy. you. Okay. Bye-bye. All All right. Right. Bye. <laughs> All right, let's go to Nelson in Randberg. Hi. Good morning, Reedy and yes. Chris. I've got a colleague here to work, okay, and he's got a fever blister, which apparently is herpes, but in any case, he puts a disprin on his lip because his friend told him that it will take it away, a disprin on his lip, and he's walking around with it, and he's irritating living crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm arguing with him that it. It doesn't you know, work. Uh, well, why would it work? <clears throat> Okay, Okay.
1: Well, okay, fever blisters, herpes, that's a kind of virus. It's called herpes simplex, and this virus lives inside the nervous system. And once you have been infected with herpes, and don't worry, 80% of the adult population of the world carry herpes simplex type 1, the cause of cold sores, which is the other name for fever blisters, this virus stays as a piece of DNA inside the nerve cell. And then, periodically, and not in everyone, only in a, a fraction of people who are infected... It reactivates, and that means the DNA of the virus turns on, and it starts making the nerve cell that carries it make new virus particles. These are then shipped back down the, what's called the axon, this thin cylinder, which goes from the nerve cell body, where the DNA is, out to the skin. And the virus particles come out of the nerve cell, and they infect the skin over the top of the nerve cell, and the skin cells then produce blisters, which are full of infectious virus particles, and that's how the virus is passed on. Now, we don't understand exactly what the factors are that reactivate the virus. The thing that stops it spreading is the immune system and inflammation locally, and there's not really any reason why taking aspirin ought to stop, because that's what's in disprin, it's aspirin, why that should stop the fever blister. But what it will do is make some of the pain go away, because one of the problems is that you get localised inflammation, and that will make other nerve cells become wound up and sore. So it will make the problem feel slightly more comfortable, but I don't think, if he is a reactivator-type person, someone who frequently gets cold sores, I don't think that's really going to help that much, unfortunately. There are very few agents that will stop it. The best drug to stop it is a drug called acyclovir. You get this in a little tube. It goes under the trade name Zovarax. And this drug, acyclovir, goes into the nerve cell and it stops, or into the skin cells, and it stops the virus making more DNA so that it stops the virus growing. And that's the most effective treatment once you have got a little out- outbreak. It won't, however, remove the DNA from your nervous system, so it won't necessarily prevent f- uh, future reactivations.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Nelson. So you can go back to your colleague and tell him to stop. Uh, yeah, uh, you don't- <laughs> He, he put the disprint on his mouth. He didn't he, he didn't swallow it. He he, he walked around with the disprint on his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think the fact that he keeps doing it is uh, is evidence that it's probably not working.
0: <laughs> How's that? Lee in Boisens, hi. Hi, Liddy. Mm. know Laked Scientist. How are you today?
1: Good, thank you, Lee. Hello, how are you?
0: It's very well, thanks. Just a quick question. Um, somebody that I knew a little while ago, her name was Lynn. She had um um, high blood pressure and cholesterol problems and she went on a trip um, uh, it was a trip up Kilimanjaro uh, where they did a six or seven day tour up there um, and then she came back and she told me that uh, on my next visit to her that her blood pressure and her cholesterol were considerably better and in fact the, the, the um, blood pressure had uh, cured itself altogether. W- what is the reason for this? Is this something normal?
1: Hi, Lee. Well, first of all, blood pressure. Blood pressure is a really dynamic measure. In other words, it changes enormously during the day, and it also is strongly sensitive to what we're doing, how we're feeling at the time, if we have any other health problems going on, if we're stressed about something, worried about something, or if the person taking the blood pressure doesn't do a very good job. Mm -hmm. And so you should never place any emphasis on a one-off recording of blood pressure. Whenever GPs or doctors take blood pressure, they will always do it a number of times on a number of different occasions. Because otherwise, the one time that you're late for the surgery, you can't find a parking place, you rush in, you're really stressed about the exam the following day, and you have your blood pressure taken, and not surprisingly, it's high. Under those circumstances, if we just medicated everybody and labelled them hypertensive, uh, then everyone would have high blood pressure. So you always do a series of readings over a series of time. It's possible that the, the, the label of high blood pressure may have been applied to your friend inappropriately. Um, w- about the cholesterol... Well, one one possibility here is if the if she had, uh, again, um, been tested just once, and perhaps the test was not done very well, or the samples got switched in the laboratory, or perhaps she forgot to fast before the test and, and ate a very fatty meal, for example, this can sometimes skew some assays, some tests, and so I suppose it's possible that she could have had a false positive for that, too. Assuming that wasn't the case, well, it sounds like she's been very active recently, um, going up Kilimanjaro and that kind of thing, and it may well be that uh, having lost a little bit of weight that she's reduced her cholesterol level because if we're carrying too much body weight this also elevates blood cholesterol and cutting down body weight will reduce your cholesterol level and it can turn some people who are borderline needing treatment into people who need no treatment just by a little bit of judicious eating and weight loss
0: okay uh thank you very much uh, let's go to jillian in centurion hi hi morning i would just like to ask there's so many vampire movies are You had to scientifically explain
1: why the body exploded when it was exposed to sunlight. What would the body need to be composed of? Hi, Gillian. I haven't seen I haven't seen any movies where this is graphically portrayed, but I'll have to sort of guess. Um, There's a a number of ways in which people can react badly to sunlight, and some of them are natural because some people inherit a condition which means that sunlight triggers um, things to go wrong in their skin. Other people um, can take drugs or other chemicals into the body and these photosensitize a person. I don't think there's any particular cause of someone actually exploding, though. But in terms of photos- photosensitization, um, there are chemicals that you can get from some plants. Um, there's a hogweed family, for instance, that makes a chemical called sorulin. And if you put the sorulin into the body, it goes into all the tissues and it's in a unreactive state but when sunlight falls on it it breaks the molecule up into a form which yields a very reactive form of oxygen and this can damage cells and it produces a very intense sunburn like reaction so that's one way of doing it another one is that there's a drug called doxycycline or tetracycline some people take doxycycline because it's an anti-malarial this molecule also can soak up ultraviolet rays in skin and cause an, a more intense sunburn reaction, so that can photosensitize skin. There are also a family of conditions, I think, called the porphyrias, and these can also lead to some people having skin sensitization under certain conditions. So I think maybe that's the closest I can think medically as to what a vampire might be, but I'll certainly ask my friends <laughs> and see if anyone else can have a think about any <laughs> other things that, that might make you have those sorts of phenomena.
0: Okay, I'm suddenly thirsty. Let's take a break. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clubby. Alright, and we're taking your questions for the naked scientist on O two One Four Four Six O Five Six Seven, O Double One Double Eight Three O Seven O Two. We're taking your SMSs on three one seven oh two and three one five six seven. Uh somebody wants to know, uh, Chris, what's the science behind the pill, the contraceptive? Can one still depend on periods to find out if one is pregnant, if one is on the pill? Does the pill affect a pregnancy test? I suppose a couple of questions in one.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the oral contraceptive pill actually owes its origins to an American scientist called Dr. Carl Gerassi. He's a chemist, and he actually discovered the pathways that enable us to synthesize the chemicals that make up the at least the first generation of oral contraceptives. It's come on a long way since he did that work. And in fact, Carl Gerassi now makes rap music. Um, He's a bit older (laughs) than he was when he was making Mm. the oral contraceptive pill, but he makes these amazing, extraordinary rap songs, and uh, I'm lucky enough to have heard some of them. I can recommend it. It's uh, D-J-E-R-A-S-S-I is how you spell his surname, if anyone wants to look him up. Uh, The way it works is that it contains hormones which are either the same or similar Uh, in terms of their chemistry and the way they behave in the body, to the body's natural hormones that control the menstrual cycle and are a consequence of the menstrual cycle. And what they effectively do is to fool the pituitary gland and hypothalamus, which are two structures in the brain which control the menstrual cycle, into thinking that the body is pregnant. Mm -hmm. Because when you are pregnant, you have high levels of estrogen and you have high levels of progesterone. And both of these hormones feed back onto the brain and they shut off the supply of signals that tell the ovary to produce oestrogen and to produce eggs and things. And so by fooling the body into thinking it's pregnant, it shuts down the ovary. This shuts down ovulation so the ovary doesn't produce any eggs. If there are no eggs being produced, then there is not going to be any chance of having a baby. In terms of can you rely on periods to tell whether you're pregnant, the answer is no because most of these pill regimens, most of the oral contraceptive pills that people use, have a period where you have Mm -hmm. three weeks where you take the drugs that suppress ovulation and then you have what's called a withdrawal bleed. So there's usually a, a, a break in the cycle or just sugar pills for a week. And what that does is it makes the body now think you're not pregnant anymore, so the person has a period. It's actually an induced period. It's not a real period, but you're having a period, and then you start taking the next batch of pills again, and it falls the body into thinking you're pregnant again, so the whole cycle resets itself. So you can't rely on that as a yeah. sign that you are or aren't pregnant.
0: Agree, In, yep. d-
1: does it fall, does it fall a, period, uh, a pregnancy test? The answer is that pregnancy tests actually use a chemical called beta-HCG, beta-human chorionic gonadotrophin. This is a protein which is produced by the placenta, so when the baby implants into the uterus, it secretes this chemical, and this makes the ovary continue to produce progesterone for a while, so that the pregnancy can get established, because progesterone is really important for keeping the the uterus um, nourished in blood and other secretions, which help to nurture a growing pregnancy. And that Chemical gets filtered out in the urine a little bit as it goes around the mother's bloodstream, and the pregnancy test contains special antibodies called monoclonal antibodies that lock onto this beta hCG and produce a colour change in the pregnancy test. So, if you are on the pill, no, it won't fool a pregnancy test. The pregnancy test is responding specifically to a chemical made by a developing embryo, and therefore uh, you will you will only get a positive pregnancy test if there is an embryo in, trying to implant or implanted in the mother.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Let's go to uh, Puti in Midrand. Hi, Puti. Hi, really. Hi, the Naked Scientist. Mm. Hi, Puti. Um, a, a very quick question. Uh, some few days ago, we had an incident where a plane had to do an emergency landing. And before it did that, it has to pump the jet fuel down. Now, my question is, what happened to the fuel up there? Are we going to breathe it or it's going to land on our houses?
1: yes i've wondered this myself the reason that jets actually ditch the fuel is because when they take off they're taking off with in some cases hundreds of tons of fuel on board and they would normally expect to land the plane without hundreds of tons of fuel on board and if you're landing with that a huge amount of fuel a it means that there's a big problem for the the plane. It has to cope with a much greater stress when it's landing, much greater mass. But also, you're you're landing a plane full of an inflammable liquid, much safer to try to ditch that fuel if you can. And so what they do is to spray the fuel out, and it's distributed over a very big area. So actually, the risk is is really quite small. It's not like having a huge great oil slick in one Mm -hmm. area. I'm pretty sure that's the theory behind it.
0: All right, good question, Preeti. It was a big story here a couple of days ago. Let's go to Rita in Rustenburg. Hi, Reddy. Hi, The Naked Scientist. Mm. I just want to know what are the advantages and disadvantages
1: of ozone therapy? I'll listen on the radio. Hi, Um I'm not aware of any benefits of having ozone therapy. Um, I've had a couple of people who've asked us about this, and it seems that there's quite a lot of disinformation. People are telling people that you need to be exposed to ozone and this will in some way improve your health ozone is three oxygen atoms stuck together into a molecule of o3 up in the high atmosphere it's great it's a thin band of it um, many kilometers above the earth which strongly absorb ultraviolet rays so the light that comes in from the sun is a mixture of different wavelengths some colored that we can see some invisible and harmful And ultraviolet is short-wavelength radiation, which ranges from ionising to almost ionising, so very high-energy light. If that reaches the ground surface, then it can cause serious damage to us and to plants and other things, because it damages DNA. And the ozone layer screens it out. But ozone down at ground level is very poisonous. In fact, you can use ozone to sterilize water. Some water treatment works, bubble ozone through water because it destroys microorganisms, because it's so oxidizing. It reacts with things vigorously, ripping molecules apart, and this breaks down microorganisms. So it's a great way to sterilize things. If we're exposed to it, it it tries to break down our bodies too, and... Also at ground level, it will react with other chemicals to produce photochemical smogs and that kind of thing, especially with oxides of nitrogen. So I don't think it's a good idea, and I, I wouldn't advocate having some ozone therapy if I were you.
0: Okay, let's go to Dave in Pretoria. Good morning. Morning, how are you? Fine, thank you. I'd like to know the, the scientist theory on the latest physicist thing on parallel universes. I'll listen out on the radio. Yeah, I think we've had this question before, but Chris?
1: (laughs) How long you got? (laughs) Um, This is quite a hard one. I can give you a reference for someone who's written a very good book on this, and that's Michio, M-I-C-H-I-O, Michio Kaku, K-A-K-U. He's a scientist at the, I think is at City University of New York, C-U-N-Y, and his book is called Parallel Universes. This gives a really good discussion of what the possibilities are. Having spoken with Michio, his view is that the world does not, sorry, the universe is not an isolated thing. That there are lots of other universes hovering possibly millimetres away from our faces where there are other Talk Radio 702s having radio talkback shows and discussions about science in them, but not necessarily in this one. And one of his theories, I think he sets out in the book, is that if you have a black hole in one universe, this could be producing material which is ejecting as a big bang from the white hole, the arse end of that black hole in another universe, so you sort of transferring material scientists are actually trying to detect these parallel universes and that's because although the universes may be separated from each other, we think that gravity may be able to propagate between them and so there are various experiments being done to detect gravity waves which would give away the existence of these things there's one experiment called LISA L-I-S-A, which is a laser interferometry satellite array so it's basically some satellites in space that bounce a laser beam between them And if gravity waves come through, then they will slow down or affect the path of light between the two satellites. And and this will be registered as a change in time, in the time it takes the light to travel between the two satellites. And as a result, they'll know that there must have been some gravity waves, so there could be a, a parallel universe or two knocking around. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one way that they're trying to understand a bit more about this.
0: Uh, Chris, do you want to give us the name again? Because I imagine after the show we're going to get a lot of uh, inquiries around this, the person whom you referred us to. Yes, um,
1: the, the person who has written a book on this is michio kaku m-i-c-h-i-o michio kaku k-a-k-u so that's his surname professor kaku and he's at city university of new york and that book was published certainly about four or five years ago and it's a good read he makes a radio program in america oh and uh, so he's very good at making his area of science all about cosmology for example very accessible so he's a good guy
0: lovely chris as always we love chatting to you we'll see you again next week
1: well thanks for having me. Have a great weekend everyone. See you Take next up. time. Bye bye. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing 20 billion pounds in R&D over the next 2 years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.